0: Welcome back podcast listeners. Here with another amazing episode today as we're joined by our clients, Nat and Cam. A couple from Melbourne who created a board game. That sound game was conceived at one of the late nights during one of the many lockdowns. It began as a cut up strips of paper in jam jars and has become the fully fledged party game that you'll hear about today. While everyone else bought puppies, honed their sourdough making skills and took socially distanced walks in the parks These two use their time to bring this tiny idea to life. Over the past two years, they have been rigorously tested and perfected through the incredible feedback of their test players being their friends. They're incredibly excited to bring this noisy game to the world, and I'm incredibly excited to share their journey with you today. Cam, welcome to the Coffin Bond Podcast. Thanks for having us. And uh, thank you. I I know we sort of had to keep changing times with each other, so I appreciate you taking the time out this morning, but we're just chatting offline and and sort of from about my hometown and and a bit of a holiday home that you love getting up to with your studio. So, Nat, I'm going to start with you. I want to hear about your story because, you know, before we get to why we're here today and and the game that you've both produced... um, you come from a very different background into board games. You know, what's a bit of your story? I guess growing up, and and you know, I, I want to hear about your other businesses um, that you're currently operating.
1: Uh, yep. Okay. So I actually spent 13 years of my life in insurance and finance, um, which is riveting, but probably the wrong crowd <laughs> to, to be sarcastic <laughs> to. They'll be like, "It is riveting." <laughs> I didn't really think so. <laughs> Um and I moved down to Melbourne um with that corporate career but I guess wanted some artistic outlet outside of that. Yeah. Um and didn't really know what that would look like particularly if you can't draw, sing, dance, you know, what where is your going, your creativity going to lie? Um and I started to find some nice little shops around Melbourne that sold, you know, antiquities and curiosities. Uh shoulder mounts things like that, and I found that I uh, really enjoyed the aesthetic of things like taxidermy, animal preservation, and just the art and the science combination, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so I thought I'd buy a few bits and pieces. People would come around to my house, totally freak out, thought it was very odd.
0: Because <laughs> you, 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 you started with sort of smaller animals, is that correct?
1: Yes, yeah, so I was just buying a little skulls and uh, like a rug for the house and things like that around Melbourne. And then when people would come to my house, they just thought it was so strange. And I guess that got me thinking, OK, well, maybe this is something I'm interested in. Can you learn it? Uh, I found out you hadn't actually been able to learn taxonomy since the 1970s. And right. then that really piqued my interest. Um, and so then I took it upon myself to essentially stalk a mentor for two years until he took me on as an apprentice. So I would work my full time job in insurance during the week, go to his warehouse on the weekend, um, train to be a taxidermist. And then over the last 10 years, I turned that into um, Australia's first uh, teaching organisation of the Dying Arts. Yeah, um, and trained in the U.S., Canada, Spain, um, and have had all wild and wonderful experiences, such as yeah. digging up dinosaurs and things like that. No, so it was like cool. the pivot from yeah. uh, from a little bit different,
0: a little <laughs> bit different from our industry and how we're operating over here. But it's big in the United States and Canada. They still have a lot of teachings over there. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, it's it's essentially huge in. Europe, UK, Canada, US. Um, But they also have uh, museums that have huge dioramas and they switch the collections out. We just don't have anything like that in Australia, so there's no real work in it. And I guess the people who mainly do taxidermy in this country are doing your shoulder mounts, gain mounts for deer heads, things like that, Um, which, you know... I guess, produces a different market and also people aren't very willing to share because they're not full time in that role. It's also something they're doing as a side hustle on the weekend. So yeah. it was really difficult to learn here, which is why I had to kind of go abroad and bring the skills back and then be training um, here just Basically, as a shit kicker, if I'm honest, the stuff I learn here, but you do what you've got to do.
0: How are you finding interest levels now within the space? Um, now that you're actually providing teachings to people.
1: Um, it was huge. The company was thriving prior COVID. So yeah. I was traveling all around Australia with it, all around the world with it. Uh, I had, uh, workshops, uh, like a company set up in Sydney, a company set up in Melbourne. I had about eight mm. staff. Yeah, And experiment. then COVID absolutely destroyed that, which is why I had to pivot again and come up with a different idea.
0: Which we'll get to. No, I love that. <laughs> and Cam, now you're you're coming from a completely different industry. Well, I don't think a lot of people come from um, Nat's industry anyway that she's working in now. <laughs> um, what, what's your background and what led you to be sort of in the role that you're doing at the moment?
2: Uh, so I'm originally from South Africa. So yeah. uh I was born there. I was actually born during the time when apartheid was still a thing. Okay. So uh I uh back home I played um heaps of sports. I probably I played for South Africa field hockey for about ten years. So I guess um that's one of the reasons why I've always had like um I don't know, a real drive for, for pushing and excelling at stuff. Uh and I studied architecture, but I realized that that's not really what I wanted to do. I sort of, I was really passionate about wanting to lead a team, but I still love the industry. So that sort of led me down the path to do project management in that constructive yep. space. So I started my career in South Africa. Um, property is generally cheap there. So I'd already bought a house by the time I was 24, um, a little place I had a car. I had the job I wanted, but then I was like, I'm just bored. I haven't done any experiencing any traveling so I was like okay fuck that <laughs> I'm gonna just going to sell everything I'm going to move to the other side of the world and I'm just going to give it a go what was so, Australia at that point uh, <laughs> uh I fell in love with someone else at that point <laughs> <She was> from <laughs> Australia so I was like cool I'm just going to do the weird romantic thing and move to the other side of the world terrible um, idea terrible uh, <laughs> <laughs> idea because you shouldn't <laughs> give up your whole life for someone it's a lot of pressure uh so that didn't work out, but then I was like, this is a place I want to give it a crack because the construction industry, for anyone that knows it, is booming most of the time if the economy is doing well. So I stuck around and 10 years later, I feel like I'm doing pretty well for myself. Um I'm one of the youngest uh business leaders at my company. So it's APP, which is one of the um the one of the leading uh consulting uh project managers in the country. So uh oh, yeah, I feel like, you know, I, yeah, I feel like I've just put my head down, done heaps of work, and also I've got the thing that Matt has as well. Is like, I, even though I've got my nine to five, I'm always looking for something else to do.
0: Like I'm just.
1: It's called being workaholic. Yeah, being <laughs> workaholic. <on. laughs>
0: But I think, I think a generation now does look for more um than from that nine to five, you know, what else can we get involved in? Um What what else is out there? And because we're so connected via media today and social media and things like that, we, we are seeing others do different things. And it's like, you know, what else can we do? And I think that thought pattern always comes into us.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I've always, um I've always been someone who's like super young at heart as well. So when Nat came to me with the idea of a board game, I was like, hell yeah. Like, this is so cool. Like, Board games are that weird thing in society. Like adults, are they just forget how to be playful or how to have fun. But okay. board games are that weird little, like, niche in society where society's like, okay, it's cool. You can now let your hair down, have fun, be a kid again. So I guess that's why I really loved the idea of a board game. And when you brought it to me... I, I think it, you just spoiled the reveal. Oh. Uh, well, no, I'm, I'm happy with, I'm happy with that happy. I thought it was a
0: good segue. I was like, <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm,
2: I'm agreeing
0: with Cam. I reckon you did the good segue for me. That's
2: it's a funny. perfect segue.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but a board game. And... So, Nat, it's your idea. I'm, I'm holding it in my hand at the moment and, and we'll make sure we put the links out so people can see them. But where did the idea come from, a Board Game, from you?
1: Um, so, obviously, my business, Wrestling Pieces, was had really taken a hit. Um, and there was always this view, I guess, in the creative arts industry, so it'll bounce back, it'll bounce back, it'll bounce back. And it just wasn't bouncing back because we continued to get lockdown so it's just near impossible um so it's a really stressful time and I guess in that time I did what everyone else did in COVID which is drink and then (laughs) ended up on uh the the couch with some friends one night and I we were actually I don't pull out many games and when I do it tends to be a party game I like games where you can yell and be competitive and be a bit of a fool um, I'm not really, you know, a chess player or a guitar player, although I must say I quite like both of them now. Yeah. Um, but so we were kind of doing something else with another party game for whatever reason that ended. And I was just left with a friend on the couch and I was kind of pulling out cards and I said, oh, you should do this one as a sound. And he was kind of doing it. And then I was like, no, you should do that with your hands behind your back and do sounds. And then just I got thinking and I'm like, why? I'm like, First of all, it was really fun. It's just stupid to make sounds with your hands behind your back and move. And it's a really unique mechanic. But then I kind of had what I thought was a light bulb moment. I'm like, why are there no sound-based games in the market? So you have your Pictionaries where you draw. You have your Taboos and your Craniums and your Articulates where you play with words in a party game sense. Um, In Cranium, you also throw in sculpting, Hmm. things like that. And so for me, the more I mulled on the idea, I'm like there's just this giant gap on the shelves in the mass market of board games. Hmm. And so I think wanting to throw myself into something else that would be stimulating and maybe could have legs while RIP was so stagnant, Mm. Um, that was really the catalyst for me wanting to go down that route. So I started working on it, and it was very rough. Uh, I worked on it for maybe two months, maybe three months. So, so when
0: you say working on it, what's the start of a board game look like? Are you drawing? Are you writing? Like, What, what, do, no, what do you do to just, start it?
1: I love a spreadsheet. Okay. I love a spreadsheet. So you still you still got a little
0: bit of finance in you. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But also it just generally involved me coming up with things and then trying to imitate their sounds. So I was just must have look like a nutty person, although that's fairly in line with my character. (laughs) Just kind of walking around being like beep beep doom like moving and hearing things and being like, Oh, that's a good one and then writing them all down. Hmm. And so I kind of built the framework of what the game would look like. It has evolved since then, of course, um, but I guess also when I was in insurance land and rest in pieces land, I wrote training programs. I've written books, so writing instructional things and ways to train and ways to do things in an interesting way comes really naturally to me. Um, so I worked on it for about three months and then in true Shark Tank style Dressed up in a little suit, went to Cam. She didn't know what I'd been up to, and gave her a clipboard, and then presented my multi-million-dollar idea, (laughs) and then uh, kind of asked if she wanted to come in on it.
0: (laughs) Nice. So Hmm. Cam, when you first seen this, what was your thoughts?
2: Um, I mean, what did you think I'd been working on? I didn't think about it. (laughs) You just said it's a secret, and I was like, okay, I guess it's a secret. (laughs) that would have done my head in. <laughs> so no I didn't think about it much, but when you presented the idea to me, uh yeah, like I said to you, I um earlier, I was like, yes, I'd latched onto it because it's part of one of the things I believe in, like I think adults should be more playful. So I was like, this is really cool. Uh and also it's an exciting project. I mean, we'd also toyed with the idea of doing a kids book before that, and that sort of didn't really I guess build the momentum or the energy. And then when you Said you want me to come in on this? I was like, all right, let's give it a crack. And I think that my, my mindset is I always think it's going to be a million dollar idea and I'm going to work as hard as I can to make sure that happens. Yeah. Um, but also if it doesn't, I'm not going to be disappointed. We're going to try something else. So I think we're pretty aligned in that. Although you were like, no, it has to be a, a success.
1: I just felt like it's very rare to have a huge market in mm. something. And for there to be a, a huge gap Hmm. that's just staring everyone in the face. And so I really was ruminating about that. And if it's one of those things where you're like, someone else is going to see what I'm seeing if we don't do it. Hmm. And let's face it, we had another year of lockdown to do, like to go. (laughs) So what else are we going to do with that
2: time? Yeah. And then the funny, (laughs) the funny story is, is like, so we were working on it for about what seven months and it actually had a different name. And so we, we, um, we were, we hired one of our friends who's like a influencer. He's taken three or four accounts on TikTok to a million plus followers. So he's got a bit of a formula on how to do that stuff. So he was consulting us and then in the meeting, he was saying, Oh, you know, you need to look up the hashtag of this, you know, your game's name to see what is sort of resonating with people. So we did that and we actually found out that the previous name had already been taken. And oh, this God. was like two weeks before we we're meant to go to prototype, wasn't it? Yeah. And it was this. It was like a kids it, game. It's like
1: this kids game that had that name that had only just launched. So mm-hmm. went the whole time we'd been working on it, obviously we'd name checked what have you, but until someone launches, mm-hmm. you don't know. And so their product is nothing like ours and hasn't actually taken off. But, um, that was, that was at the time like quite a blow and you always think, Well, the project's ruined, mm. it's never gonna be the same and blah, blah, blah. But I guess if COVID taught you anything, you learn to pivot. Yeah. You just pivot. You have to just keep pivoting. And particularly being an entrepreneur, you have to pivot. Um so we pivoted and that ended up being the best thing for us. So.
0: I, don't, I don't think there's ever been a startup that hasn't had to pivot at some point, um, within their business growth. So tell me about the process, I guess, of getting to prototype and going through that as well. Um, you know, I'm actually fascinated to know, you know, there's the concept, there's the idea, um, which we'll, we'll talk about, but, you know, what's the next stages of getting this to market?
1: Um, yep. So for us, obviously getting a little prototype going is really important. Um, And we had to do that through the U.S. because you can get kind of small sample sizes of board games done. Yeah. You don't really have an offering for that in Australia. And actually, it's quite rare in the world to just be able to get your kind of one One hand game pocket size sample. You pay for it through the roof. But you need Mm -hmm. a a functional prototype to, to play test. So... Even things like the size of the cards, how it feels in the hand, does your fingers cover the words on the card that you need to be playing? Because ours is a fast-paced game. Um, things like that you you need to test. So we got that uh, done over in the US, and then um, playtesting itself is essentially you just harassing every single person you know. And uh...
0: <laughs> so, how did how did your friends at the start, um, you know, take to the game?
1: I remember one of my friends, Karen, said to me, "Oh, like this is a real game. Like it's this could like this is like real. Like this is a game that people are gonna buy." I'm like, "Yeah, what do you think I've been doing for a year? <laughs> I, like I don't think people take you seriously.
2: Mm, um, yeah. A
1: lot of people talk about projects, and as it turned out, we've moved remarkably fast now that we understand the, the industry." The, the industry and the global industry more so. But I think my naivety of just being like, oh, well, you have an idea, you can just make a game and it can blow up, I mm. think that's probably been the best thing for us. Because if I knew anything about the industry, you would know that it hasn't happened to anyone since Cards Against Humanity. So it just yeah. doesn't happen. Um But I was like, why not? We can do that. <laughs> um, so uh, after the prototype, um, Step 2 is harassing everyone to play it. Step three is, for me, it was having a huge ego and wanting to fight all the feedback. And
2: step three for <laughs> me was convincing Matt to adopt some of the feedback. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, that's why, that's why it's a partnership when you make the game work
1: together. Yeah? <laughs> so then we had to make some changes. Um, yeah. And actually now we're really good at making changes because yeah. we don't have friends telling us they've got the likes of the biggest players in the world saying it needs these tweaks, mm. um, yeah. which is amazing.
2: And I guess that's the other thing as well. Like, even though we've already launched to market, we're still making changes to make the game better. Mm. Yeah.
0: Um, so I guess so it's like... versions. Are they versions that come out in that regard, or is it just a change the game?
1: No, it's just they're slight changes. Like, some of the more difficult cards have been removed and replaced with ones that are a little bit easier, which you don't really need a version change for that because games yeah. pivot, language pivots. Uh yeah ideas, concepts, political topics, age. So that's just fairly normal in that industry. Um, And so, yeah, we took on the feedback. And then my strategy from day one had always been this is a sound-based game. The biggest platform in the world is a sound-based platform, TikTok. It's not really about us getting people to follow our brand and for us to spend all this money on advertising that we don't have, what we need to do is find people that will make content around our game because it's, Hmm. it it, it is literally created for the the monster that, that drives sales right now and engagement, which is TikTok. Um, And again, that hadn't really been an approach in our industry. So Knowing that that's the route that I wanted to take, I then went ahead, and this was a big leap of faith, um, and we decided that we weren't going to do a Kickstarter, which is the which the, is the, the normal everyone. route. Um, yeah. The numbers didn't add up, so you'd have to be spending tens of thousands of dollars in marketing to try and get people to sign up to a mailing list, and then less than 2% of that mailing list are going to fund you and... Hmm. And we also, um, got invited to a collaboratory at PAX, which is one of the biggest board gaming conventions. And we found that the people who came up and played our game didn't even know what a Kickstarter was because they're not board game people. They're party game people. Yeah. And so for me, those numbers didn't add up. So I said to Cam, the money that we would have spent on that, we should just go to print. We should just print a thousand units ourselves. And then I set up, and this took quite a long time and was a total pain in the ass, but we set up Fulfillment in the US, uh, UK, and Australia. And so I had uh, 500 units sent to Australia, 250 units sent to the UK, 250 units sent to the US. And um then our first piece of content kind of dropped. We spent $900 on it. And I remember... Waking up that morning and being like, oh, my God, Kim, we have 10 sales. (laughs) I don't know what's going on. Something's going on. And then it just continued to blow up. Within four hours, we sold out in the U.S. And within four days, we had to launch pre-sales. Within four days, we sold out worldwide. And at the end of that week, we had sold 4,000 units in pre-sale because that one TikTok – that was also shared on Instagram. Has over 10 million
0: views. Um, views, yes, yes.
1: yeah.
0: <clears throat> wow. It is the power of the new media, I guess, in advertising. And I think you know that, that's incredibly smart in the way that because you, you know paying for SEO and paying for Facebook ads and it's just it's just not going to work anymore.
2: Yeah. I mean, w- what I will say with that is I think initially we did have to we did have to think about where is our audience and go where your audience is. Yeah, Um, is the first thing I will say. And then the other thing is just on the Kickstarter. We didn't understand Kickstarter. Like we were trying to research it as much as possible, but we just didn't get it. So I guess that's, I don't know, one thing we're learning is if you really don't get how something is going to work for us, maybe that's just not the route we need to be going. Um, And also, we're business
1: people. We come from a different background. If the numbers don't add up, they don't add Mm -hmm. up. Yeah. Yeah. So it just didn't make any financial sense.
0: And you haven't had to give away any equity within the business either?
2: No. I mean, the only um, partner we have at the moment is um, we're working with a marketing manager in the USA. So yep. he used to work for Google and do ads for Google. And uh, he's got his own game at the moment as well called Sabotage. So that that's like a bubble tea game in the yep. US and it does pretty well there. Mm. But where well, you said with, you know, not spending money on Facebook ads. So what we're sort of finding is where that conventional media is useful is if we drop a piece of content on uh TikTok or Instagram, will the ad spend needs to be there so that when people go to look for you, you sort of come up relatively to the top. I think that what yeah. I found that marketing layering is sort of beneficial for us. What would you say to that? Yeah. I
1: mean, so our Our huge days, like our huge, we did 100K in one week. That comes from blowing up on, say, a TikTok. But then you need organic eyes on this. So we have to remember how small our game is right now, even though it's huge and we have signed distributors all around the world now. They all came flocking for us in kind of like a bidding war, which is amazing. We're still in, like, the really early adopter phase. And so you've got to get eyes on your product because, you know, families, mum and dads, people in middle America, maybe they're not on TikTok, but they love these style of games. So Facebook and Instagram advertising is fine. You're never going to get huge results. But as long as you're getting a return on your investment, then it's worthwhile to do it for that brand awareness. Um, and we're really fortunate with the money that we spend on Instagram and, uh, Facebook now. And we didn't do that for many, many months. No, we didn't. It was quite new.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, we're getting a, um, uh, 6.2 is our return on investment right now, which yep. is kind of unheard of because usually it's like, you know, two, two's good. You know, if you, if you if you double your money, that's good. So no, every dollar spent, we're getting six times return right now. So it's very good for us. Yeah, definitely. Um, And then that just keeps those really consistent sales coming through for us. And I think because we did get so large and really went a, a different route to everyone else, we started to have the biggest distributors in the world chasing our product. We had... People from USopoly who own Monopoly and stuff like that trying to license our game and we just hated that and we were adamant we're not going to license to anyone. Um, We had all the biggest distributors in the world pitching to us um, and they just, some immediately stood out to us as being like the good guys and then others just thought, I think, that they could take the mickey out of us, like we didn't know what we're doing. But actually in the end, We've negotiated some of the best deals that any people in the industry have got, and we've maintained all of the e-commerce. Not one of them has any rights to Amazon. So yeah, nice. we, we maintain all Amazon, all e-commerce, and they can only take the product and then pitch to all the retailers, what have you. Um So that is kind of unheard of in this day uh, day and age as well for the creators to own the e-commerce because okay. that's the really profitable side where you don't have to have those relationships, you know. And
0: definitely, you've just got to bro- drive that advertising. Yeah. Now, I'm I'm holding I'm holding the car in my hand and it's got the lowdown. So tell me about the game. The sound <laughs> a noisy game for weird people. So tell us, give us the lowdown. How does the game work?
1: Um. So essentially, split into teams. Yep. And then. Uh, you roll a dice or die. We went with die and language has evolved. So we we're going to stick with it. Yeah. Um, and that'll tell you which category to choose from. So there's cards under action, incident, nature, uh, ob- object and the P's, which is people, places, personas. Yep. Um, you flip the timer. If you're the sound master, you, you, you're the person who flips the timer. You stand up. You put your hands behind your back. And you look at the card that you have picked, and you have a minute to get through absolutely as many of these sounds that you can, and they range in points. So a one-pointer in nature might be a tiger, and then a three-pointer in nature might be a meteor shower. So it gets quite complex and that's where movement will come in as well so yeah, you've and a got bit to of acting. run around and <laughs> yell and, you know do odd things but it we didn't it's not a straight up mimicking game because it would be near impossible for you to do say an air conditioner if you're not also moving and showing that you're hot and that something's blowing and you know um so uh we've got that party gameplay and then we've also got some lifelines where if you're the team that isn't guessing that round you have a steal card so you can actually steal from the other team um so that keeps both you know teams engaged uh during the gameplay and then there's also another lifeline called uncuff me uh which is where you can ask your team uh, to have your hands uncuffed for your round which is a good one to try and catch up on
2: points or yeah, okay. what have you
0: now i've also got a black box um here yeah <laughs> <That's laughs> yeah. well i'm actually going into a staff meeting next so i'm definitely getting, I'm, I'm definitely whipping this out we've played it before but i'm going to play it officially with the team straight after this but tell me about the black box
2: So that's the x-rated uh expansion pack that's our first expansion pack so those are all the naughty words for um people aged 18 plus so originally when we started the game we're like cool maybe we'll just be like cards against humanity and just be completely raunchy and um non-pc but it's 2023 and like cards against humanity um you know like in some spheres people like oh maybe this didn't age well and we we sort of, as a business decision, we're like, yes, it would be cool to, you know, be that raunchy. But also what makes sense, what what makes business sense is that, you know, we want to create a version for families. And we've even now created an even younger family version for mass market. But right. for adults who want to get together on a Friday night and drink uh, and yell will I, and laugh at their friends doing weird sex positions, we're like, yep, we're going to do that as an expansion pack.
1: <laughs> I remember you went to South Africa and you're like, oh, my God, my mum was doing anal beads.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's
0: a memory I'm not (laughs) going (laughs) to have. Does this get pulled out with all your friends now consistently um, to keep We have to play
1: it because we're so over it because we have done the sounds a billion times.
0: I think a lot of entrepreneurs probably get a
2: little bit sick of their product for a while. But my, um when we were in Queenstown last week for holiday, one of my good mates, she stayed at our house in the country um, with all her friends for a week, and the game was just out on one of the counters, and she and all her friends were playing it in our house. So our friends still love it, which I guess that's a good sign. Yeah, no, that's good. But I think we <laughs> I need a bit of a break from making sounds.
1: Well, I guess it's different too because we – uh, at the moment, we just finished another expansion pack. We have two, three more in the works. So that's fun trying to come up with new gameplay or new sounds. And then we've also nearly just finished translating into five languages. Um okay. And we have a Braille expansion pack coming out so that um people who are visually impaired can plays, still though. play because it's a great game for people who are visually impaired because you can still make sounds move and also hear the sounds that, you know, your other teammates might be playing. So we wanted to go down that route of just trying to be inclusive and see, is there a way that we can have an expansion pack that anyone can buy, but it also happens to have Braille on it rather than it being an exclusive product for the hearing impaired where then you're forcing kind of separation and segregation again, and that's why I went with the idea for it just to be an expansion pack, something you can add into the existing game rather than making an an entire version in Braille.
0: Nice. So is this the future of what you two are doing? Because I know (laughs) that you you love keeping everything else you're doing going as well. So is this going to stay as the side hustle?
2: Um, I, I'm probably going to keep my job for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. I really love my industry. Um, it's that weird, you know, Venn diagram of the thing you're passionate about, the thing you're good at and the thing people pay you money for. So I'm very lucky I sit in the middle of that now, so I'm going to keep going. But I mean, we've, we've managed to grow the business to a point where Nat could quit her job and now just work full time on the game. Yeah. yeah. So are you are going to do managing director? Yeah, so I quit <laughs> the job that I took to
1: pay for the game and then I'm closing down RIP. I'm going to take a hiatus for a year because I think we're going to buy in Dalesford next year. We moved out to Dalesford and we're loving it. Yeah. Um. And then in a year, if I feel like opening a small bespoke studio here, I might do that, Um. but it certainly won't be the business model that I had before. I did that yeah. for 10 years and... Um, service-based industries, there's a glass ceiling on what you can earn and the output you must put in. It's really, really difficult. Yeah. Um, and I understand that more than ever now being in like a product-based sphere. It's incredible when you have the world available to you, uh, to purchase your product, how much growth you can get versus yeah. being a service-based industry in Australia. Um, So if I do go back to RIP, it'll be really, really, really niche pet work, galleries, exhibitions, just things that I want to do because I think that I have, I feel like I burnt out from that over 10 years and that that glass ceiling, like, you you just, your head hurts
0: after a while. <laughs> no, I agree. And, and seeing that and, and it's sort of the way that even with technology, sort of people are going into that sort of product-based business using technology as well to scale. So even, you know, service businesses are looking at the way they can bring product in so that they can scale and, and stop banging in their heads. Mm, yeah. Mm. Thank you, both of you, very much for joining me today. I've laughed, smiled, um, and I'm actually just so keen to get this going with my team. Um, I think we're, we've got a meeting in about 20 minutes, so I'm going to get the teams ready, um, and we're going to d- dive straight into it. Um, I might even open the uh, the black box up. And- <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if I don't just know, know. Two, if two I- reminders.
1: The sound yeah. must I must stand up and have yep. their hands on the back and move. It's movement and sound. I love and it. also make sure you shuffle those decks, otherwise you're just going to get the three pointers, and then you're going to be like, "Wow, this is God. hard." <laughs> shuffle, <them. laughs> shuffle the decks. You don't uh, want to start with the three pointers. You got to ease into them.
0: I love it. Thank you very much for joining me. I, I know it's sort of you know you're both very busy um, with everything going on, so I, I love I love that you've taken the time to join me.
1: No, thanks for the thanks opportunity. Jack, it's really great to talk about our game and get it
2: out there. Yeah.
0: Awesome. I'll send it out probably hopefully today actually, um, with all the links. So thank oh,
2: you. Awesome. Great. Nice to
0: meet you. See ya.
1: See ya.